0: From suspended art major to major e-commerce entrepreneur, Ethan King started his business with just $700 and has grown it to over seven figures a year. He built this business with his business partner who also happens to be his wife. But everything they built was almost destroyed by the fine print in a contract with one of their suppliers. Ethan tells an impressive and motivating story about overcoming a $300,000 lawsuit to build a bigger and better business. My name is Nick Haralambis, and I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. So remember, it's not over until it's over. Ethan, thank you for joining me on It's Not Over. Welcome. How are you? Hey, Nick. I'm doing great. How are you today? Pretty damn good. Okay, so let's dive right in and set the scene. What? business are we talking about? What was going on at the time? What role are you in? Give us some context.
1: Okay, sure. Yeah, my main business is Zeus's Closet. I'm the co-founder and CEO. And what we do at Zeus's Closet is, you know how when a studio was filming a movie and they need like custom wardrobe for a fictitious company, or some custom jackets or wrap gifts for the crew? And they needed it like yesterday because that's how Hollywood is. That's what we do at Zeus's Closet. We provide that. In fact, if you think about any type of affinity group, like a fraternity, a sorority, a team, a business, an organization, and you need branded apparel for that organization to show the world how dope you are, That's what we do at Zeus's Closet. So to put it in context, we have two retail stores now. I'll go back in time, at the time we didn't. We have about a dozen different websites that appeal to different niche markets, but we help you show your passion on your fashion. We're like a tattoo shop for clothes.
0: Nice, I like that line. Okay, further context to help me here. Are you a sole founder? When did you start the business?
1: My wife and I are uh, business partners, 50-50 business partners, and we actually started the business shortly after college. We started, we were boyfriend and girlfriend, and we, ba- we went half on a business. We started with $700 and just split it 350 and 350 and we're still business partners to this day. But we started, it was around 2002 when we founded the business, and then I started working in the business full-time around 2004 and then she came on full-time around 2005.
0: There are so many crazy things just in that intro straight out of varsity with your girlfriend starting a business honestly I think that is more of a commitment than getting married uh, (laughs) starting a business together and then the fact that it has managed to to sustain itself for 20 years and I'm assuming you are still with your wife like There were just so many tick boxes there. It feels like you've won at life and we need to unpack that. But let's, before we get into that, and I'm sure we will get into uh, the partnership and the relationship and how that works, but let's talk about this business a bit more. So talk us towards the near business death experience we're going to talk about. How's the business grow? You now both full-time and then what unravels?
1: Yeah, sure. So a lot of our business has to do with licensing. So we'll put a company's brand on something. Let's say if you wanted to sell Disney products, you have to pay a, pay them a license fee. Or if you want to sell collegiate products, you have to pay a license fee and pay royalties. And each one has a different agreement. I'm being intentionally vague. I can't name names or anything. I'm bound legally to, to confidentiality. But basically, we ended up in a business dispute with a particular brand that we were licensed with. And it went south and they basically tried to take us to the cleaners and take advantage of the fact that we had signed a contract. What happened was they they decided to enforce some things that were buried in their contract that they had never enforced for years for anyone. So we had built our business around this. So like when you sign a, a contract, we sign contracts all the time. When you install some software, you have that long agreement and then you, you check the box and then you keep going. So these contracts are like that. And then they have fine print in there. They decided that they were going to capitalize on the fine print and we didn't see eye to eye. So we were caught in a place where if we would have complied with their wishes, it would have cost us weeks, probably months of manpower and would have also caused us to lose hundreds of thousands of dollars of sales in revenue. And if we did not comply with their wishes then they could sue us, which would lead to hundreds of thousands of dollars. So we were caught between a rock and a hard place, and we decided to do the latter. We just decided we weren't going to comply. We felt like it was unfair and abusive what they wanted, so they took us to court. So we had to fight it, and it was about eight months of, like, pure hell.
0: How much of your sustained business was from this particular, let's call them... Brand X had given you how much? 30%, 40%, 70% of your revenue?
1: Yeah, like, it was about 30% at the time. Yeah, wow, It's pretty big.
0: It's a big chunk. Mm-hmm. And was there any um, expectation that this was coming? Was it like rosy and sunny and then one day they were like, hold on, there's a contract. Let's look at this. You're in breach.
1: Exactly. It, it, was, it was rosy and sunny and we weren't the only ones. I, They were very quiet on their end and very, very sneaky with their behavior. So we don't 100% know their motives, but it seemed to me, it felt like a money grab. We weren't the only company. They they basically exposed this loophole, this gotcha, and said, we're going to go after all of these companies here, which was scary because we saw some of our competitors go out of business, disappear. We were following the other cases And we're like, oh, shit, this is real. So we, we of course, had to hire an attorney and we basically, (laughs) it was scary because that attorney was just an awful attorney, our, our first one. And he basically was like, look, you don't have a chance. You don't have any leverage because you signed the contract. And when you sign a contract, you're bound to what it says in the contract, no matter what. Even if they decide, even if they weren't enforcing it, now they're deciding to enforce it, you're still stuck. So he basically advised us to just concede, give up and file bankruptcy if we need to.
0: How far into the business are you at this point?
1: We were over a decade into the business. I don't want to name an exact year, but we were, we had been, we were a sustainable business. We had staff. How big were you? How how many people? Yeah, I'm thinking back probably about, maybe about a dozen people back then. And then we had just had a baby. So literally a a new, (laughs) our second kid had just been born. So here we are with an infant. So we're already stressed out and we're dealing with this at the exact same time. That's a lot to take in.
0: How, talk me through the communication from the company, Brand X. Was it lawyered up from the minute that you knew things were going bad? They'd lawyered up and it was lawyer's notes? Or was it the person you'd been dealing with for a while through this licensing agreement who came to you and was like, what's up?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. The, the person that we had been dealing with, silent. and that, So we thought, every, that's why we thought everything was rosy. And we get a mysterious letter from a name that we had never seen before. And they said that they represent brand X. And it's, it was like, what? It was like, is this a joke? Is this spam? Is this someone phishing, like one of those hacking, phishing emails? And so we, we ignored the first one because we are like, that's spam. And then we get another one and it's okay. So we call them, we're like, hey, what's going on here? We thought it was all good. Is this, is this attorney really connected to you? And they were like, yes just very curt, very short. Yes, do what they say. And there was just no room for communication, there was no budging. It was just, it just seemed very cold and it was seemed it seemed odd because we had years of history with Brand X, but it was there was no hey, we can work this out, maybe if you do this, do that. It was just like, nope, this is what it is. Either bend to our will or don't and suffer the consequences. And we chose the latter because we felt it was unfair.
0: Aside from thinking it was unfair, what was the process of the choice here? So, yeah, it's unfair. There's a moral and ethical issue, but there's also financial issues that you and your wife and business partner have to deal with. Mm-hmm. So 30% turnover is a huge loss to just kick in one day. So walk me through the decision. Like, yeah. why didn't you just comply?
1: Because we would have took the financial hit either way. If we complied, we would have uh, lost at 30%. If we didn't comply, then we we would lose that 30% fighting at least. So that was the logic. It's You're not just going <laughs> to... I know we we're going to get into more of the emotion of it at some point, but you're not just going to bully me and I take it and roll over. I'm going to at least fight for you to take this, right? Because we literally felt like we were being bullied, yep. being robbed. And I know it's different in different countries, but at least in America, you can pretty much sue anybody for anything. And then that... <laughs> person just has to fight it It, it's totally ridiculous Mm. and it feels very Mm. much like just sticking a gun to someone's head and saying give me your money then you have a choice you have to either give it just give in to their wishes or you fight and if you fight you run the risk of um getting hurt you're probably gonna get hurt either way it never turns out good for anyone or you can run you could try to run with the law there's only so much you can run because if you try to run from a lawsuit Then that person wins by default, and then they can take all of your assets. So you're you're really stuck in a bind. And uh, we just decided, hey, we're not gonna, we're not gonna take it laying down. So we started fighting.
0: It's such a salient point that you do have a choice. You always have a choice. It's something that I try so hard to, to help people understand when I'm coaching them or talking to them that there is never a situation where you just don't have a choice. And the gun to the head example is, a, is an interesting one. You guys, you, many entrepreneurs would have said, oh, we don't have a choice. The bigger, badder brand X is coming after us. Let's fold and rebuild. But you do. One of uh, my neckisms, the rules that I live by is sometimes you've got to burn it all down. Mm -hmm. And that's a choice. That's a kind of choice to just light the fire, burn it down, walk away and start again. Obviously, you didn't do that. Mm. So now, you have got a shitty lawyer and you've got a brand X suing you. um, Then what happens?
1: So a lawsuit, so people, so that people have some context, a lawsuit isn't like you see on TV where you're actually in a courtroom and there's a jury. Mm. It's really a bunch of emails and letters going back and forth between lawyers. So, The reason I want to give that context is because for most of the time, you're just waiting and waiting for a response. And then you have to craft your response and you send your response and then you're waiting and waiting. And while you're waiting, it's just like these it's this roller coaster because it's these moments of agony. Like, okay, is this going to be over after this one? It's a negotiation. So while at some point I realized this is just out of my control, I can I give our response and then all I can do is wait. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do something that seems completely unrelated <laughs> to what we're talking about. And I even talked about it with some of my, my EO uh, forum mates and peers. I said, you know what? I'm going to train for my first marathon in the middle of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah obviously. But this was my logic. And I didn't quite understanding it, understand it at the time. So I'm, I'm, I'm look, looking back in hindsight. But my logic was I need a win. I need to take control of something that I can control. I couldn't do anything about the money situation, but that was pulling me down in the other areas of my life. And one thing I talk about in my book there, I believe there are six dimensions of life, spirituality, intellect, money, which money comprises your career, your business, everything, your physicality, your love and relationships and entertainment. And it spells the acronym SIMPLE. And so my money was being pulled down, just sucked away in legal fees and everything. And then I started to feel it pulling at my spirituality. I was down. I was stressed out. It pulled away at my intellect because I wasn't focused on anything else. It was on, on this situation and I couldn't think about anything else. And then it pulled down on my physical life, I wasn't working out. I was gaining weight from the stress. It affected, it started to affect my relationships because When you're stressed out about something, then you start to lash out at other people. So here I am, pissed off at my kids and my wife, and they didn't even do anything. And then definitely affected my entertainment. I wasn't doing anything entertaining. So I was like, you know what? I can't let this suck down my whole life. I just got to, I have to let that be what it is and focus on something else. So I decided I was going to, I had never run a a full marathon before. I decided I was going to start training for a marathon I registered for it. training for a marathon is very time consuming for the benefit of your audience. If, if you've never, if they've never run a, a marathon, it's 26.2 miles, typically it takes about four or five hours. And you, so training for it leading up to the race means sometimes you're running for three hours a day and that, that sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so of course people were like, you, wh- you're in the middle of the people who knew what was going on they like, you're in the middle of this, the fight of your life. How are you going to take three hours out of your day and go run? It didn't make any sense. But here's the thing. Um, During those three hours of running every day, I had time to clear my mind. And I'm listening to audiobooks, podcasts. Clear thinking started to come to me. Now, again, I didn't know this at the time. I'm looking at it in hindsight. But I ended up making better decisions. So after a while, we fired our lawyer. We got a new one. You can do that in the middle of a lawsuit.
0: Wait, at what point did you realize that the lawyer wasn't looking out for your best interest? Was it a very defined, this guy is fucking us over? Yeah. Let's move on.
1: When he suggested that we just concede and file bankruptcy? It was- <laughs> let them get a judgment
0: also like the logic of that as a lawyer it doesn't make sense to me if you concede he doesn't get paid his fees for an ongoing lawsuit so it didn't make it doesn't make sense for him either like what a dumb move anyways let's move
1: on i don't know (laughs) but so one piece of advice that i got from Mm. one of my buddies in eo who had been through a similar situation he said get big letterhead i'm like what does that mean big letterhead So when you have a lawyer and they send a letter, which is that's all you're doing is sending letters back and forth. Look at the letterhead. You want a lawyer that the letterhead takes up like half the freaking page where they have offices all over the world. And they're this big name. And you know that they have the resources and the big guns to fuck up the competition. Right. So he's I don't it doesn't matter how expensive they are. I know you can't afford it. And this lawyer ended up costing three times that our first lawyer did. But we went for the big letterhead and we, long story short, he he was a genius. He is a genius because he ended up finding a way we countersued them and we exposed some information in the countersuit that would have really put them in a bind if it got out. So that's as detailed as I can get, but it made them back down and we settled out of court.
0: That's an incredible lesson for any young founder or first-time founder or somebody who's struggling with their cash flows but is experiencing something like this, is you get what you pay for. Oh, yeah. You pay for a lawyer that is worth three times the first one, you get three times the genius. Right. Sometimes in some spaces, you get what you pay for.
1: That's right. And, and they have the resources where they don't know the answer. They have 300 colleagues they can consult with to help Absolutely. out your situation. So it just... It felt like a David and Goliath thing, and we were David, but then we hired another Goliath to have our back, and it works, mm. yeah.
0: And how long before getting this new lawyer counter-suing did they settle out of court?
1: How long after that happened?
0: So how long from the moment you hired the new lawyer? Was it another month, another three, the six? Like, how long were you tormenting over this?
1: Hard to remember. The whole thing lasted about eight months, so I probably it was just all that back and forth. But, mm. yeah, maybe about two thirds of the way through, then okay. things start. We started to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Cause before, before mm. that they weren't, we even play at one time. We, we were just being humble and just like asking, Hey, can you let this go? Let's work it out. Mm. And they were just being hard nosed, but they changed tune when we counter And sometimes you just got to punch the bully right back square in the fucking nose. And in order to get the result that you want, and then they're like, Oh, wait a minute. Let me change course here. This isn't the person that I want to mess with. And so that's what had to happen. And then we we started to see light at the end of the tunnel. And then the negotiations were, okay, this and this. It ended up being a fraction of what they were initially asking for.
0: But the frustrating part for you as the owner of the business is what a waste of legal fees. As a percentage of that 30%, like, my goodness, for you as the, the small business being taken on. What a painful thing to experience. <clears throat> now... Tell me about your team at this point. You said it was roughly about 12-ish people. Are you communicating with them what's going on or are yourself and your wife keeping this close to your chest, not talking to them, hunkering down and suffering in silence?
1: Yeah, no, we had to communicate with them about what was going on to an extent because we had to be in compliance while we were going through the matter. So we had to uh. do things where our lawyer was like, okay, you need to do this. No, you don't want to, but you have to do this. So we had to communicate to our team to execute on the tactical parts of it. Now, we were very careful to not use words like lawsuit bankruptcy that tends to scare people sometimes. So we, we were like, hey, guys, we have to do this because... Brand X is demanding it.
0: And was it that close to the wire for you? Was bankruptcy an option? Were you guys planning for the It was
1: definitely in the back of my mind because you have to look at all all the possibilities. And in America, you can do that. And everybody knows our last president did it a few times. And he, while it's a scary word, it's not the end of you. Bounce back from it. You get a clean slate. So that I think that was part of the lawyer, the first lawyer's logic too, is oh yeah, no, no big deal. Just file bankruptcy and then move on with your life. But that, I, that just didn't sit well with me. I'm not that, I don't, I don't know the word. I just, it, it it would hurt me to my heart to, I, I would feel like a tremendous failure in all the ramifications of that. So I, I chose to, I needed, I knew I needed to go a different route and fight until the end. A little
0: bit of a pressing question, but did you at some point in all of this feel some sense of ownership and frustration that you had signed this contract with this fine print loophole issue that had arose like, surely you felt some weight of responsibility that how the hell did we not see this? Yeah,
1: but it was... I didn't have enough knowledge of how the legal system worked of contract law at the time Mm -hmm. we signed it. I got the knowledge now (laughs) from going through this experience. But what I didn't know is that whenever there's a contract, in most cases, it's negotiable. Like you can You read through it, mark through something that you don't agree with and send it back to the other party and see if they're willing to work with you. And if not, then don't sign it. Or if you do sign it, just know that they can expose you. Now, most people aren't evil and maniacal and won't take advantage of contracts. If you look back through all the contracts you've signed, there's probably some crazy clause in there somewhere that you're like, what? But but most people are actually nice and good and won't enforce things. Unfortunately, sometimes you get someone who is just, just just like a rabid dog, and for whatever reason, they're out for a money grab, and they'll just do anything to get it.
0: It's something uh, when I was a younger entrepreneur, just starting out uh, hunting big clients and raising VC, that when you get a contract, and it's your first contract, you're like, This is what I got. I'm going to review it, make sure it's not taking the shirt off my back, and then I'm going to sign. Mm -hmm. And the older I get and the more experience I've had with contracts, now I just redline everything. And I'll give you an example. I've just started seeing a new psychologist and she sent me a contract, terms or whatever. And one of the terms was, if the session is shorter than 50 minutes or I'm late, I still pay the full amount. (laughs) No problem. I just added in the same clause for her. Oh, okay. So, if she's late or if she ends the session earlier than and she didn't say anything, I signed it. I crossed out a whole bunch of stuff. She didn't say anything. She signed it. There we go. Yeah. And the thing that you raise is so important that everything is a negotiation. It's not if you push back, they're going to say, oh, you know what? You didn't sign point three, point four, point two A. We're out. They're going to go back to you and say, can you leave it in, please? It's not like it's the end of the road. So that's a really important lesson. Did you feel... The need, an entrepreneur friend of mine is actually in the middle of getting his third degree, which is a law degree because he's had a similar issue. Did you feel like your gut reaction was, fuck this guy, I'm gonna go and get a law degree and I'm gonna sue myself. Like, <laughs> what did, did you feel the need to upskill yourself uh, dramatically after this?
1: Oh, I had to, oh my God, yeah. I feel like I paid for a law degree. I literally spent eight <laughs> months buried in contract law. Cause while you can hire a, a great attorney and you should, you still also need to be prepared to defend yourself. and fuel that fuel fuel your attorney with ideas and maybe there's something i read that said hey this and then that sparked something in his mind he says oh we can do this yeah I, I, I feel, one thing i look at look at in life is when we make these mistakes that cost us a ton of money it's like paying college tuition or university tuition in a way you're going to pay it one way or the other so this was just an expensive lesson but I, it was my tuition i learned i graduated from that particular college yeah, what do you need an MBA for when you've got eight months of being sued, <laughs> or a law, a contract law degree? And up to your point with contracts and redlining, this was to, in one piece of context I, that I didn't provide is that we have probably we we have we hold hundreds of licenses like this with organizations that we're allowed to put their logo and stuff on. Hundreds wasn't we've never had an issue with anyone else. So this really, we were, that's why we were really blindsided by it.
0: That makes sense. Okay, so now let's dig into a little bit more of the personal stuff. The fact that you have been with your wife for as long as you have, firstly, well done. Then the fact that you've built a business with her and gone through something like this, at this specific moment, you're the CEO and she's
1: what role in this she, business? She's like VP, COO. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. So... How do you two come together? How does this stress your business relationship and your home relationship? What was that like? Because nine months is a long time to be in conflict with someone, not your wife, with another party.
1: Yeah, a- and with a baby, a new baby. Don't forget,
0: a- uh, and, with a <laughs> and a newborn ba- and a toddler. I imagine, a, a like, newborn, oh my goodness,
1: yeah, a newborn and a four-year-old. Yeah, uh, and dealing with this. Yeah, it was it was stressful. The, the thing is, we. The good thing about my wife and I, and and we've been married, we just actually just celebrated our 19-year wedding anniversary two days ago. So one thing we agreed on from day one is open lines of communication. If If something is bothering us, we don't let it fester for weeks and months. We get it out that day and we say, this is bothering me. This wasn't cool. Let's resolve this, ideally, before we go to sleep that night it comes from the bible never let the sun set on your wrath so we that's been that's served us very well in our relationship another thing that has served us very well and people think i'm crazy when i say this but i actually encu- people say how do you guys work together like i could never work with my spouse i actually encourage people to do to create a side business or something with your significant other some if it's a hobby, that's fine. But I think it's great for people to have something that they're working on together, uh, so they have a shared vision. It's if you, the visual is. A lot of people think of love as like gazing into each other's eyes, but I think that it is longer lasting and more purposeful if instead you are side by side. And you have the same horizon that in the goal that you're looking at, and you're in battle fighting together. We got each other's backs, like it's that movie Three Hundred, and we're slaying the opponents together, and we come out together on the other side. So that is how, whenever we caught ourselves, and not to say it's all perfect by any means, but we catch ourselves, like when we catch ourselves getting mad at each other or yelling at the kids. It's like, Wait a minute, don't let that what's going on with brand X, I feel like that's affecting your emotions right now. And then I'll check myself and be like, yeah, you know what, you're right, that's not cool. Let's team up, let's, we're in this together, let's take them down, let's not let them win.
0: Yeah, I love that. And out of interest, my, my partner and I spent six years building a retail business to get e-commerce and retail. And the open communication thing is also one of our pivotal um, points. And one, one year she said to me, I don't think I wanna work with you anymore and we sold the business a year later Hmm. because you gotta pick, right? Mm -hmm. Wife and family (laughs) or business and easy choice. So that resonates with me. Brene Brown has got this thing that she does with her husband. I'm a a big vulnerability fan. And Brene Brown is like a deep vulnerability spirit animal for me. They will tell each other percentages of how much they're coping. I'm at 20%. You got to pick up the other 80. Mm. And I'm at 50%. You got to pick up the other 50. And uh, I was watching an interview with her and someone said to her, but what if you're both at 20%? She said, then we shut everything down. We shut down. The kids don't go to school. We don't leave the house. We get videos, movies. We sit and we look after each other until we're both at 80%. And then we can get going. Mm. And that really, it it resonated with me very deeply because it is this give. And we all think that it must be today. You got to be on your hundred percent today, every day, nonstop. But, That's not real. Sometimes business is hard. Sometimes relationships are hard. Sometimes they're easy. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. You gotta give and have some flack with all of this. So I'm glad that you say that.
1: You actually made me think of something there um, that another benefit is being aware of your partner's skill set and having each person stay in their lane. And this is another thing that we learned. We actually learned this in premarital counseling and I'm very fortunate for this lesson. When we went through premarital counseling, they had us. They had a. They gave us a list of things that you do in everyday life. Say, taking out the trash, washing the dishes, uh, changing the diapers, whatever. This long list. And each one of us were given the list, and we had to write down the person's name who we felt was responsible for that activity, for that task. So she had to write it down separately for me, and then we saw where there was alignment and when there wasn't. So, for example, if I wrote down she, if I expect her to take out the trash and she's expecting me to take out the trash, then we need to. That's the discussion point, right? So the thing is, and I call it a DRI, I got it from Steve Jobs. We figure out who is the directly responsible individual for each one of these tasks. And not to say that the other person isn't going to ever do it, but when you go into life knowing that, hey, I'm the main one, it's my responsibility to roll the trash cans out to the street every Wednesday. Now, I can delegate that. I, I can hire somebody to do it for me. Or if I'm out of town, I can ask my wife, "Hey, would you mind rolling it out?" But she knows that I'm the DRI for that task. So we have applied that in our business as well. When it came to this particular situation, she understood. We we had a mutual understanding that I would take the brunt of the work because I want I enjoy a good fight. And I'm also I've been told I'm a bit of a wordsmith and have some skill in copywriting. She was like, "You handle that," and and she was also more emotionally wrapped up in it. So there might have been, like, some f bombs in the legal document, and that that won't fly. So I so I probably took on, eighty percent of the grunt work when it came to this particular thing. But she was very supportive, very understanding, very appreciative. She was like, "I know." You're going through a lot. You're dealing with this. You don't have time to deal with it, but you're doing it anyway. I just want to let you know I appreciate it. So I I think that that's also important for any relationship, business and personal.
0: I know that you stole it from Steve Jobs, but I'm definitely stealing DRIs from you. Very useful. Okay, back into the nitty gritty of the business. How much do you you think that this set you back? Not necessarily financially, but what I say to founders who are raising funding is set aside 70 to 80% of your time just to fundraise. I imagine it's the same mental and physical capacity that's required to deal with a lawsuit. So how did this actually set you back in terms of the growth that you were projecting and the business that you wanted to build Ten months is or nine months a long time.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you financially. I calculated that it set us back about three hundred grand when you look at legal fees, settlement, lost revenue, and the interest. So we didn't. We were running our business on razor thin margins. We didn't just have dollars, three hundred thousand dollars sitting in the bank. Probably barely three hundred dollars sitting in the bank. So we had to borrow money, high interest money to fight this. So on top of that, we had this these crazy interest rates, so that set us back even more. And we stacked on a lot of debt because it is hard to get out of that cycle to dig out of that hole even once the situation was over. So it was probably probably about another good 2 years of restructuring things, fighting, just climbing out of debt day by day to get back up to where we were. And unfortunately, we did it and it. Now, at this point, I can look back and say we are completely personally debt free and we only have one business loan now. So we managed to get rid of all that debt, plus a bunch of credit card debt that we had piled on when we were starting the business, making stupid mistakes. But actually, in a way, this situation helped us make the changes that we needed to make in our business that we didn't know that we needed to make. But we made changes to our business model out of necessity, out of survival, and those changes made us more profitable so that we were able to knock down that debt and get back to where we are. And now we have the debt and the debt gone and reserves. For example, one of those changes was rush fees. So we used to get people would come to us with a project and they would be last minute and they would say, hey, I, I really need this done by tomorrow. Can you do it? And we would have orders, two weeks of orders back then. And we would turn them away and say, no, we can't do it. Sorry. And we just kept turning people away, turning people away. And one day I was like, you know what? Just tell them, it's, just triple the price and say yes. And let's see what happens. And people were so appreciative. And they were like, yes, I will gladly pay that. And they started paying three times more for like same day service. or so two times more for next day service. We ended up with this sliding scale. And that has totally changed our business. It's opened opened us up to new opportunities and of course, that's all profit. What we're doing is we're moving you up in the line, just like it if you go to Disney World and you pay for the fast pass, you get in the front of the line. That doesn't really cost Disney anything extra, right? So we that was a major yeah. thing that we implemented in our business, and, and there were a few others, but that changed everything and it made us who we are today. So we are no longer dependent on one client being 30% of our business it gives us a stronger stance in the marketplace and a more unique position.
0: So much there. The thing quickly to punch your new book that I know you mentioned and I believe it's in chapter eleven where you mentioned me too about post-traumatic growth. And this is an exact example of that is so many founders try and avoid tough situations and bury their heads in the sand when actually if you are able to get through it, the chances are eighty in the research indicates that up to eighty to ninety percent chance you will be a better version of yourself and your business will be a better version of it if you survive and that's basically what the show is about. Like you survived and found ways to eke out new income streams, to get new revenue models, and to get better clients. So that's post-traumatic growth, and that's right. what business is about, right?
1: Exactly. Now, n- not all businesses are because there are some businesses no. who they get smacked with some trauma and they shut their doors. We saw it happen in 2020 with a, lo- yep. a lot of our competitors. It's like, oh wait, well, we get there was lockdown, and then a month later they're gone. And I'm like, wow, that's they didn't put up much of a fight.
0: Thin margins, no diversified income. Right. Like, it's brutal out there. It's brutal.
1: Three things that that I learned from this situation related to post-traumatic growth is one that I mentioned earlier. Don't let one situation bring you down in other areas of your life. Don't let your finances affect your life at home and so forth. Try to keep those six levels I mentioned, like I call them the six dimensions of success, that simple acronym, spirituality, intellect, money, physical, love and relationships, and entertainment. Try to stay as high in as many of those areas as possible. That's my answer to life balance. Think about keeping them in like constant calibration, like air, like the flaps on airplane wings, continuously adjusting. And don't let one area, don't let if one engine gets hit, pull the whole plane down. That's what happens to businesses. Uh, the second thing is that there will be suffering in life. There will be trauma in life. We all have it but it's about what meaning we assign to it. We can use trauma to fuel triumph. Like 50 Cent says you can turn shit into sugar. Everybody else says you can turn lemons into lemonade. (laughs) And the third thing is change your perspective and remember that the universe is conspiring for you, not against you. When you change your outlook and you realize that nothing in life is really good or bad, it just is. It's And if you tweak it to think, oh, this is somehow happening for me like that, this incident that I'm talking about, this lawsuit, this dispute ended up happening for me. It was painful at the moment. I didn't see it until later, but I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for this. So I'm thankful for it now. But if you look at everything in life like that, then you can't lose and you can truly have it all. And that's the premise of my book, Wealth Beyond Money.
0: Yeah, I love that last point specifically speaks to my nihilistic approach to the world that fundamentally the universe doesn't apply meaning to anything. Right. The universe isn't meaning. Our perspective, our existence, our egocentrism applies meaning to things that happen in the universe. One day when a big asteroid is coming towards the earth it's not because the universe is pissed off at
1: earth <laughs> right
0: it just, is. it just is that's just the way it is it's just happening and i love that perspective that the universe is conspiring for you mm-hmm. if that's the way you choose to see the universe there are negative people who will always be negative they're going to win the lottery and they're going to be like oh my god now i have to deal with winning the lottery <laughs> like right. it's all about your perspective and i really appreciate that um Tell me, what do you think your blind spots were now looking back, other than law? Obviously, this contract specifically, but you as a leader, as the CEO of this business, were there any other blind spots that you look back and go, shit, yeah, that was something I should have known? Did that person you were dealing with go quiet for three months and then all of a sudden sue you? Were there any things that were glaring?
1: Spots. I I would say on my part, because there's never 100% just, oh, it was all their fault. On my part, I was probably a bit arrogant in thinking like, I'm not happy with this and I want it to be my way. So I'm going to ignore whatever you want and you're just going to bend to my will. I was naive and arrogant because if you're, and and this applies to any situation in life, personal and business, but there are, you have to understand when the other party holds the upper hand. If I, so in that lawyer, they were holding the cards. So I had no place to be in that frame of mind of just going to do what I want. I should have been more humble, more responsive early, even though their communication was terrible, I should have been the one to be more humble and more responsive earlier in the whole process. And it maybe could have been avoided, even though, like I said, I would have taken the financial hit anyway. But you asked about blind spots and that's one of them that I'm aware of. If you get a letter from an attorney, even if you think it's, figure it out fast. And if it's not fishy, get back to them. Because what I've noticed in my life is that people in, a, generally speaking, sometimes, often, <laughs> people in an authority position like that, like lawyers, police officers, tend to have a bit of a chip on their shoulder. And if you do something that seems to undermine their authority or may seem slightly disrespectful, then they gonna, they're they're going to go for your throat because now you've pissed them off. So better to avoid that type of situation and make them feel respected and honored even if you hate their guts just do it anyway don't start a fight with a police officer or something that doesn't end well
0: yeah it's there's a lot there wrapped up in game theory and second order effects and the thing that I think is educational that I learned through contract negotiations and a whole bunch of reading about negotiations is something called BATNA. I don't know if you've come across BATNA, B-A-T-N. It's the best alternative to a negotiation agreement. Hmm. And the really simple high level is if you are getting sued and you look at the contract and their alternative to this agreement going belly up is they lose $100,000. Your alternative is your business goes under you default have the worst position. Mm-hmm. They have the BATNA. They have the best alternative to the negotiation agreement, and you can then start working from that point. Now that you figured out who's going to die if they lose, you can either become the rabbit dog and start acting like the one who's going to die, or you can start thinking second and third order effects and figuring out well, if I do this, they'll do that, then they'll settle, and duh. But if you go in having no context of who is going to die at the end of this, the chances are it's you if you haven't <laughs> thought this through.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Okay. We're getting to to the end of this. I want to know what you have learned from a business context that you have taken with you everywhere you go from this particular situation.
1: Yeah. Just well, one of the, the tactical part of it, obviously read contracts, understand everything, be humble to the the person who in this situation or in, in, in many of the situations we deal with, there's someone who has a leverage. If I, if my business depends on holding those licenses and you have intellectual property, then you hold the cards and I need to be humble and be respectful in that regard. The same is true. The opposite of that is also true. My own trademarks, and I've been on the other side of this coin, I've had to send people cease and desist letters and so forth. And so I know how it feels on both sides. And most people are very understanding. Oh, I'm sorry. And they'll comply with whatever you say, but if you get somebody who r- ignores you or, or snubs you and they're like, whatever, then you're like, okay, wait a minute, dude, I'm, I'm about to really go after you here. I was, not, I was nice first, but now I'm about to pull out the big guns if you don't do what I tell you to do with my intellectual property. So just understanding that game and how it works gives you power. Like every business should have some IP and you should protect that IP and you should leverage that IP. And on the other side of that, you should be respectful of others' IP and understand how it works, intellectual property, understand how it works. Okay,
0: man, there was a question that's just flown out of my head (laughs) as I was writing a quote down. I'll edit that out. Oh, yeah, I wanted to, you said that it took you about two years, your camera just, you can still hear me, but your camera is deactivated because your internet is slow, apparently. Um, It's fine on my end. Yeah, it's fine. It says it's still recording your video, so don't stress. Obviously, it'll just upload when we're done uh, and I'll edit this out. So the question I want to ask you is you said it took you about two years to recover and find your feet again. So now I want you to brag about your business. After this, give the podcast finger to the brand X and tell me how well the business is. How's it grown? How are you enjoying it? I mean, Doing anything for 20 years is astonishing. So are you still in this business and you're still loving it?
1: Yeah, I I do love it. The thing I love most about my business and and because of that pivot we've made, that's what opened us up to opportunities in the entertainment industry. We have celebrities who come into our stores and drop thousands of dollars. It's afforded me the opportunity to participate in more leadership roles and help other entrepreneurs grow. So I've been doing more speaking engagements. I've had the the time and the honor of writing this book and publishing this book, which comes out next month. And before this situation, I was just a guy working in my business all the time. I was just self-employed, just working endless hours in my business and just 98% of entrepreneurs in America. You, It allowed me to break out of that mold and become a true business owner. And not only that, but learn business leadership. I got very um involved with entrepreneurs organization i'm a global leader in eo i speak all over the world and help other entrepreneurs grow their businesses so this helped me get out of that and lead others and it's 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 extremely rewarding to to be in this position and to be able to do yeah here's the finger thank you for uh brand x for doing what you did
0: That's amazing. That's exactly what it should be about. So in closing, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can follow you, how they can get in touch with you and tell them about your new book and where they can find, buy and read that.
1: Yeah, most definitely. The one central place to find anything about me is my website, EthanKing.com, which is my first and last name. And Zeus's Closet is my company. You can find that at Zeus's Closet.com, Z-E-U-S Closet.com. We also have a few other websites that you can get to from there. And my book is dropping on March 15th. You can get it on Amazon, preferably buy it on launch day on March 15th. You'll be able to get it for just $1.99. The name of the book is Wealth Beyond Money, Unlocking the Six Dimensions of Success for Richness in Every Area of Life. And it will just, it will change. It's, It's already gotten great reviews so far with advanced readers. And I just want you, I just wanted to impact your life in each of those six dimensions that we described earlier.
0: Amazing. Ethan, I can't wait to read it. And I'm really happy to hear that for Zeus's Closet,
1: it's not over. That's right. It's just beginning. We're just getting started. I feel like I'm always in startup mode. So here we go.
0: Love it. Thank you so much for your time. And yeah, good luck.
1: All right, Nick. Thanks a lot. Good talking to you.